Am I good? There we go. There we go. Now, good morning. Okay, the lion has awakened. All right, so today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Um, Robert, would you bring me, look in my backpack, and there's one of those books on the treasure principles. I've got a lot of cash in there, so don't take any of that. Okay, he'll bring that. But I want to mention to you, I wanted to show you the little book. We have a book that we, I recommend everyone read it. I would love for everyone. I think I counted about 15 copies left, something like that. And I would love for you to, uh, if you need to, just bring me the whole backpack. Oh, there you go. Way to go, man. I have a lot of pockets in there, I will confess. Okay, so um, I would love for everyone, this is one of our reading books for the summer. And a lot that I'm going to say this morning will come from this book. And so if you miss my notes or something like that, a lot of what I say, I just read through this and I just called out some of the things um, in there. And it's a great read. And uh, so we're really talking this morning about the spiritual gift of giving. So that's what we're looking at. And this book by Randy Alcorn is great. I love it because it's... Um, he writes in a very popular style. It's not heavy, um, theological. Um, I mean, anybody can read it. And so I thought, well, I need something that everyone can read, and this is it. It's short, but it's very helpful. So hopefully you'll be interested in reading that. And The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. And they're on our book wall back there as you go out the door on your left and I think they're five or six bucks, something like that. And um, yeah, grab one, read it. And if we run out, we will gladly get more. I would love for everyone to read it. It's just very helpful. So we're going to talk about the spiritual gift of giving. We're all the way to G now. We're doing spiritual gifts alphabetically. So if you're waiting for yours, someone came up to me the other day and said, please tell me when you get to speaking on tongues. And so... We'll get there. Don't you worry. We'll get there. So I hope you can be excited about all of them. But hey, that proves to be interesting anyway. So we're going to get there. Don't you worry. So you just keep coming. Um, let's pray right now and ask God to bless our, our time here. Father, we just thank you that you are the giver of spiritual truth and you give gifts to our church. And we have many gifts in our church right now, God. Um, that are being used and employed. And I thank you for people that have gifts that they share with the body of Christ, be it giving, be it discernment, be it um, administration, be it um, leadership, whatever the spiritual gifts are in our church. We just thank you, God, because we know ultimately that every gift comes from you. And then we are thankful, too, that every single Christian has a spiritual gift So thank you for this series we're going through. May it be helpful to people. And um, I pray that our study of the gift of giving this morning and generosity, that it would really impact us all in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's no doubt that you need money to go to the store. You need money to get gas, a lot of money to get gas. Uh, to go from one place to another. You need money to eat. You need money to buy clothes. You need money to have a place to live. It takes money to survive, to live. People think about money when they go to college, when they pick a career, when they get a job. 
everyone thinks and talks about money, it only makes sense that Jesus wants to talk about it too. And how you spend your money says a lot about you. It is an important area of your life that God wants you to learn how to take what you have and invest it for his eternal riches. So we might not know it, but giving, you might not have thought of it, but giving is a spiritual gift. Every Christian should give, but some have the gift of giving. So everyone should give, but some God has given them an exceptional ability, not so much how much they give, but that giving is important to them in their lives. And they think about, constantly think about, well, how can I, how do I have this gift? And no matter how, again, it's not dependent upon how much you have. It's dependent upon a gift from God that helps you to think about other people and investing in the work of God's kingdom. And it just permeates the way you think and it becomes a gift to the body of Christ and and to others. So in every local church, there should be a lot of giving going on. And there should be giving to God, giving to one another, giving to missions, giving to evangelism for carrying out the work of God. And every local church has those who excel at giving. There are some that have not ever discovered the gift, the joy of giving. And some who give little when it strikes them. There are some who give faithfully and substantially as a spiritual practice. It's like a discipline that they just give As a matter of discipline, as part of their recognizing this is something I do as a Christian. I give, I pray, I worship God, I read God's Word, I give. And it's just part of their discipline as a Christian. There are some who give miserably out of guilt. Um, There are some who give joyfully. They absolutely love it. There are some who give every time there's a special opportunity. There are some who love to give and some who live to give. And so it's just a big category that we need to talk about as Christians. And Romans 12 is one of the chapters that deals with spiritual gifts and giftings by, from, and for the Holy Spirit. And Romans 12, 8, and that text on one of the four major passages on spiritual gifts, it says, let the one who contributes or the one who gives, give in generosity. Let the one who gives, give in generosity, give freely and liberally. So I know you've probably experienced this, but giving is not as easy as it sounds. It sounds easy. And if it was, if it was actually easy, then everyone would do it. But to begin with, one of our problems is, is that we love this world and it is, the, it is natural to want to live our lives, to enjoy our short stay In this present world without giving much thought to the afterlife. It's very easy to give for what we want to enjoy. And it's a challenge to give to others. Most of us think, well, that's my income, my boat, my car, my house, my job, my kids. And we think about ourselves when it comes to our money. And it's going to take a real change of mindset when we start viewing this as God's, everything that we have belong to God. God wants us to think not only of this present world. He wants us to think about the afterlife and how we spend life, this life in preparation for the next life. So we have to learn and readjust our thinking 
as a Christian, we no longer simply think of temporal things. God has opened our mind to think, well, what happens after I die? And if there is this thing as eternal life, then eternal life is much longer than temporal life. This life, as the Bible describes, is a vapor. So I can't spend all my time thinking about a vapor, a little short puff in the smoke. It comes and has gone so fast compared to something that's never ending. And so the Bible teaches us to reorient, uh, recalibrate our thinking about this life and eternity. <clears throat> There's a passage in 1 John two fifteen to 17, and it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I think this is a, um, a comparison when it says do not love the world. It's not saying you can't love dogs. You can't love your cat. You can't love rainbows and waterfalls. And it's not saying that. It's simply saying by comparison. Love nothing like you love God. Love no one like you love God. It's a comparison. So once again, I, I want to slip in one of my favorite quotes. I say it enough that some of you might memorize it just by being here a lot. And it's that Jim Elliott quote that says... He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, can't keep it, to gain what he cannot lose. You can't keep this world, but you can't lose what you invest in for eternity. For eternity. It's a beautiful quote. And do you know that there's such a thing as eternal treasure? There are treasures in heaven where... By God's grace, we intend to go. In Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Where your treasure is, what you treasure, that's what you really, where your heart is wrapped around. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. That's the principle. That's the key treasure, treasure principle. But to get heavenly treasure, you'll have to rethink about your priorities in your life and what is your top priority. In Matthew 6, 24, it says you cannot serve God and mammon or God and money. In other words, they can't be equal. Not even close. God must be on another level above all competitors. And yet how you spend your money reveals what you truly value. In the book, Randy Alcorn says, there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. It's a fundamental connection. We may try to divorce our faith and our finances, but God sees them as inseparable. So once you become a Christian, it totally impacts every area of life, including the way you think about and the way you spend your money. It's inseparable. Jesus saw a woman who had it right. and She was very poor, and yet she was very rich. She was building a fortune. She just chose a heavenly bank account, not the local bank. And in Mark chapter 12, 
41 through 44, Jesus was observing this very poor woman and how she was investing in eternity. And it says, he sat down opposite the treasury. So he's at the temple of God where people come to give money to God. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people came and put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in her two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor woman has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Like she put in a penny. And Jesus said, Did you know that she put in way more than all the rich people? All their money? For they all contribute out of their abundance. But she gave out of her poverty She has put in everything she had and all she had to live on. So you're never too poor to give. You're never too poor to give. No matter what you have, everyone needs to give. Jesus taught one rich man about the value of heavenly treasure and it immediately impacted his view on money and wealth. So there was a rich man and coming to faith in Jesus immediately adjusted his thinking about money. In Luke chapter 19... It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Like they didn't think, who is this tax collector wanting to hang out with Jesus? Such a vile man. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. It was a very stingy man until he met Jesus. And now he says, because of his impact of Jesus, he says, half of the goods I, I have, half of my wealth I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abram, Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus could see that his attitude toward money reflected the change of his what he treasured. And has coming to faith in Jesus affected you that way? Do you give differently? Do you spend your money differently? Or do you view coming to church as something that's buying your way into heaven? You're giving to buy your way into heaven. Zacchaeus saw that God bought his way into heaven. Zacchaeus put his faith in Jesus so he let go of the stronghold of materialism that had disrupted his life. Do any of you need to be liberated from materialism? Do any of you hold so tightly to your money and it's all you think about and you begrudgingly give or if you give at all? There's a large number of people who go to church who never give. And there's a larger number of people who go to church who give just a little, just another to soothe their conscience, to say, well, I give. Or maybe a certain project comes along and they like and they'll give to that because they're going to benefit from it. But Jesus is asking, would you change 
your whole attitude and let me direct this area of your life as well. Two men were arguing about their inheritance, something that's quite common. (laughs) Often a source of family fighting. Do you know that there's family members that won't talk anymore? They literally won't talk anymore because they got into an argument over the family inheritance and they spend the rest of their lives in hatred and bitterness toward their siblings or family members because they didn't like the way the inheritance went. But Jesus informed these two people arguing, these two men arguing about their inheritance that both of them weren't going to keep, get to keep the money. And someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is Luke chapter 12, 12 to 21. But tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Jesus said, Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against covetousness. And that's not at all what they thought Jesus was going to approach. Jesus knew that they were covetous men. And I know we are covetous in our hearts. Would you not agree? Would you not agree that we covet, we see things, and money has a hold on us? That's why advertisement works so well. So Jesus said, Guard against covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. In other words, he was trying to figure out, Where do I invest so I can have more and more and more? And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have made ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, your retirement's set. You're in good shape. Enjoy life now. But God said to him, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Can anyone say, ouch? (laughs) We spend our lives trying to figure out how to retire well. And Jesus says, you're looking at the wrong retirement. You're looking at your last 20 plus years. You need to be thinking about your retirement plan for eternity. Do you really trust God or do you trust in your savings account and your income? Farther on in the same chapter in Luke chapter 12... Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And that's our problem. We're anxious. It's like, well, am I going to have enough? What if I get sick? What if I go in the nursing home? I understand all of those concerns. But Jesus said, Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If you then are not able to do as a small, uh, if you are not able to do as small a thing as that, Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory 
was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass which is alive and in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, not nor be worried for all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. It's like, wait, this can't be right. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. He can't really mean that. Provide yourselves with money bags, this, that can grow, that do not grow old with tr- a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. In other words, let's not think too hard on this. Surely this must be hyperbole. This must be for those who are greedy and rich and selfish. This does not fit my situation. I'm barely scraping by. I'm the one they're supposed to be giving to. <laughs> I'm not the one supposed to be giving. I'm the one that's supposed to be getting. Like you rich people, you just need to start giving more. We need to level the playing field. Give me some of what you've earned. So according to God's treasure principle, the only thing that goes forward is what you do for Jesus. Um, Randy Alcorn said, when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. The best investment advice you'll ever hear, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Is God your greatest treasure? Do you love him more than anyone or anything? Is that even possible? John Piper says that it comes from, begins with a heart that's set on of treasuring God above all things. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Hudson Taylor said, The less I was a missionary who went to China, the less I spend on myself, and the more I give to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing my soul becomes. The truth of the matter is that everything belongs to God in the first place, and it's an illusion, a fantasy. It's not true. It's fake. Every time I actually refer to stuff as mine. I know we all say that, but it's not actually accurate. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and the world and those who dwell therein. God owns everything and uses everything to carry out His will, and in the end this will be revealed. There's a passage in Haggai that says, I will shake the nations so that all the treasures of all the nations come in, so that all the treasures of the nations eventually work for God's kingdom and God's purposes. And eventually, in the end, this will all be revealed. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. So when the dust of history finally settles, nothing will be clearer than the fact that all things exist for God's glory and for God's plan. And therefore, we need to rethink our view of what we have been given and why it has been given to us. What have you been given? And why has it been given to you? And you need to rethink, to rethink that. So in Deuteronomy 18, verse 8, verse 18, 
it says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is you who gives you power to get wealth. So whatever you have, you need to remember and be thankful to God and say, Lord God, I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for where I live. I'm very thankful for the nation and the country that I live in. I'm very thankful for my job. I'm very thankful to be in America. I'm very thankful that I can put some money in the bank and that I have a home and that I have a car. I'm very thankful for these things. But I want to make sure that those things don't so get hold of my heart that I begin to hoard and I don't recognize that along with the blessings that I've been given, God has also called me to be a giver. And I need to think very carefully about this. Randy Alcorn shares the testimony of a very wealthy man who, when he came and began to think and rethink, he had been a Christian for a while, but he had never really experienced the joy of giving. And he said, once we understood that we were giving away God's money to do God's work, we discovered a peace and joy we never had back when we thought it was our money. Before we gave token amounts, but now we give substantially into God's work. Paul taught the principle of generosity to all the churches of the New Testament. Giving impacts the giver in many ways that non-givers will never experience. So if you've never been a giver, then you never know the joy of giving. And everyone can know that joy. Every single person can know that joy. Some people give by giving money financially to the church. They give to missions. They give to all kinds of different things in the church of Christ. And they begin to know the joy of it. And they look forward to it so much. And so in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 14, it says, The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly gives or gives little will also reap sparingly, produces little. And whoever sows bountifully gives big, that is, will reap bountifully and produce big. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it when we give cheerfully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So I want to say this to us as a church. If we're going to see God do much work, then we have to be generous. We have to give, believing that God will multiply it for kingdom efforts. And we have to give to our own local church, but we also have to give where we see God working and blessing. There's so many ways and places that we need to give. And it takes faith to give. And you can partner with people by giving. And there are people who have committed their lives to carrying out the work of God. And by the blessing of God, they've been able to set aside their calling or to set aside other callings to pursue that. And when we give to missions and when we give to ministries, when we give to people, there are people in our church that have been freed up by God to reach young people and to reach the high school and to reach the college and to reach the mission field and to go do missions because people in their hearts believe that what they give 
is going to be used to further advance the kingdom of God. People are entering the kingdom of God, friends, because you're giving. People are coming to know Jesus and having their sins changed and have their marriages transformed. Young people, teenagers, middle schoolers, high schoolers are coming to know Jesus because some of you are supporting the works of God that go into those high schools. Some people are coming to know Jesus at Western and at SCC because people are reaching out to them and they have been liberated to give their time and attention. Some people are coming to know Jesus. We had two men stand up here this morning and talk to us about how the church supported them to go down there and it's impacting people for Jesus in Santo Domingo. It's impacting people in, for Jesus in Nicaragua and Guatemala and in Turkey and in um, South Africa or in West Africa and East Africa. Um, we have someone getting ready to go serve um, in a few days, going to be going to serve on the missions, on the mercy ship. Uh, Steve Jones is getting ready to go again. Why? Because he believes that he can have an impact for God. It takes a lot of money to send him over there. Is it worth it? Is it worth it that someone's disfigured face, someone who can't walk straight, someone who has a cleft palate that they've had for their entire life and they're a little baby and they can't even swallow properly, so that they can go there and their life can be impacted so that they can glorify God and come to know Christ and they're going to get to share the gospel of Jesus with them. What a powerful way in which lives can be changed. Um, I have two, um, two weeks. I can't possibly share all that I want to share, but if you will pick up that book and read it, then you're going to be able to enjoy with me, especially even more next week. So I want, I want to stop with it. I want to read this, and then we're going to move towards communion. How much time do you actually take to consider where God wants you to invest in promoting the work of His kingdom? How many people might be saved? How many children might be reached? Will any poor be fed? Will any slaves be set free? Will drug addicts and the homeless and the battered be helped and rescued? Can we support a celebrate recovery ministry that impacts lives with the gospel? Can our church love on and care for special needs children and provide a place for their families to worship God as a couple instead of always having one parent to stay home? Are we reaching out to men in our community? Are women able to minister to women in the name of Jesus are college students being reached and challenged to live their lives for God? Do we have a strong ministry to teenagers and those who work with them and reach them? Is this, a house, is this a house of God where people can come and worship the Lord? And are we prepared to equip them and disciple them? Do we believe that God's kingdom is, much, is of such importance, important work that some people are gifted and called to full-time Christian work should be hired to pour all their energies to direct and lead ministries that enable more people to connect with God, grow in their faith, and go and to make disciples? So I, I want you to, what I want you to do is um, I just want to think, I want you to think about your life. If you have a chance to pick this up, you could read this before next Sunday. It's just, it's just not a hard read. I only have 15, so I don't want too much fighting out there when you go for them. But we'll get more. If they're all gone, I'll order some tomorrow morning. I'll order more tomorrow morning. But what I want to say to you, 
when Jesus Christ comes into your life. He wants you to rethink everything. Tomorrow, next week I'm going to go into detail because I know some of you have questions like, well, what is the right amount to give? Do we tithe? Is that Old Testament, New Covenant? How do I think about this? Um, and we're going to look at some of those questions. And there's some really great, um, there's a really great section in here that, where he talks about the, the principles of giving and then a, a covenant for giving. And I'm, I, if you pick up the book, you'll be ahead of me. And so next week, I'm going to ask you to think even more deeply this week. And Lord God, what, is, what does this mean for my life as a Christian? And communion is when you think about what he's given for you. Communion is the price Jesus paid for you, how much he paid for you. And, and this is where we're going now. And... I want you, here's where I want you to think. And so I want you to begin by thinking of what Jesus has done for you. I don't ever want you to think about giving to Jesus apart from what he's given for you. I want you to think, what has Jesus given for me? Why should I give to the work of the kingdom of God? What is this all about? And so I want you, I want to make sure that you understand this principle. When we ask you to give, it's because he's given. It all starts with what he's done for you. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He gave everything. He gave more than you could ever possibly give. He paid a debt that you could never pay. And so maybe our, our musicians can come up and I just want to read a little something as they're getting set. And if you want to start playing, that's totally fine. But I want you to listen to this. And I want you to think, if you didn't get one of these little things and you're wanting to observe communion with us, we have some more at the table. You can get up right now and go grab one of those. Feel free. I see a couple of people that are going to make them available for you if you just want to raise your hand as we're thinking through this. To end our service today, we celebrate Holy Communion. Holy Communion is known as the Lord's Supper, the Fellowship Meal, the breaking of bread, or sometimes just simply communion. The high mark, the most important aspect of being and living the Christian life is our union with Christ. To be in union, in fellowship with Christ, that is the ultimate of what it means to be a Christian, is to be in union with Jesus Christ and the communion that we now have as a result of that union with Christ. It is our ability to be in fellowship with the triune God through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. God made a way for sinners to be reconciled with Himself. It is now possible by faith in Jesus to have fellowship with God. And by faith in Jesus, our fellowship God with God is sealed. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast 
And in order to symbolize and maintain and further cultivate our fellowship with God, Jesus ordained and instituted the fellowship meal that we call the Lord's Supper. In Mark 14, Jesus said as they were eating, He took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And in this little container you will find, and you'll peel back, and you'll find a little piece of bread, a little wafer. And Jesus said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And in this little container, It's a little compartment containing liquid. And that liquid is grape juice, but it represents the juice of the vine. And the Lord Jesus, our Savior, told us to do this. He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them. And then they all drank of it. And He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has done what he was telling them. The little wafer of bread symbolizes and reminds us of the body of the flesh of Jesus, which he gave to be tortured and killed upon the cross and the pain and torment that he experienced was unspeakable and he did it in order to offer us the gift of salvation. He was motivated by his love for you and me. The little cup of juice squeezed out from the crushed grapes looks like and reminds us of blood. Jesus was crushed and beaten and his blood was squeezed out as he bled and died and he gave his life blood until his heart stopped beating. He bled out for our sins. He freely chose to do this absolutely knowing what it would personally cost him. It was an action of the deep deep love of Jesus. The Lord's Supper is only for those who are in communion with God through Jesus but it is also for all those who are believers in Jesus If you are not yet a Christian, then you should become one right now. As others are praying, then you can pray as well that God will pardon your sins and that you will take Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And as soon as you accept Christ's invitation to come to the cross for salvation, then you may accept Christ's invitation to come to the table for celebration. If there is any sin in your life, which there is, then you should confess it to Jesus now in prayer. And please be specific, not generic. Don't simply say, Lord, forgive my sins. You need to open your heart up fully and ask that God give you courage to bring out anything that displeases Him in your life and confess it very specifically and ask for forgiveness. Thank Jesus for His painful death to pay for that sin that caused his agony, paying for it on the cross. And then ask the Holy Spirit to wash your soul clean and to give you the power and courage to change and not keep committing this sin. And take a moment just to thank Him. Tell Him you love Him. Tell Jesus you love Him. 
Tell him you want to be a clean vessel and desire nothing more than to serve him and live close to him, a life of praise and gratitude and joy. So feel free to move about if you want. Pray where you are. Turn in your seat. Kneel where you are. Pray with another person. Pray at one of our prayer benches. Let your heart enjoy sweet communion with the Father, the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. In Psalm 24, 25, 4 and 5. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For I wait all day. For you, I wait all day long.